We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Welcome everybody back, Steve with Cespedelli coming at you with Charles Cooler. We're taking a break from Team Apocalypse to bring some lightheartedness, song and dance, and Charles. So, <laughs> yes, indeed, happy songs for a dying planet, ladies and gentlemen. The end is near. Let's enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this has truly been the latest apocalypse ever, uh, <laughs> and, and really. This this is the loser's version of the end of the world. And I I, uh, I have to say I'm so glad we're all we're all able to enjoy it together. Yes, we are uh, definitely all in this together. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Some some people might want to speed up the apocalypse because of that. Oh my gosh, you know what do they call them? Accelerationists. Yes. Oh, I understand. There's a phrase in Italian: la commedia." Finish the comedy. You know, end, end the farce. It's it's like, forget it. Let, let it all hang out. <laughs> Finish me. Uh, it, it's 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 pretty crazy, and it it, it it'll just get crazier uh, because we do have the election to look forward to, and the madness that will occur then, the the almost certain challenges in court, whoever wins. That's why you know, as you know, they've leaked plans what to do if there's an outright Republican victory. <laughs> There's one thing it's not, it's boring right now. No, 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 no. And for all of you young people especially, for whom I used to hear, it doesn't seem like anything's happening, like we're stuck in stasis. Well, no, kiddies. <laughs> this was exactly what I was hoping to miss as I, uh, as I went on in my last couple of decades. You know, I'm turning 60 this year. So unfortunately, that's, that's young enough to be around for another 10, 20 years of mayhem. <laughs> you know, when, when, when my dad's generation kind of sailed through it, you know, they went through the Depression, they went through World War II, they went through the 60s, they went through all the crap. And then they were able to just, you know, kind of glide off into the distance and get hailed as the greatest generation by the very kids who treated them like garbage during the 60s. Mm -hmm. Yes, the greatest generation, yeah, well, too bad you weren't playing that tune when you were a teenager. Anyway. Yeah. And now those kids are running the show. Gosh, what a bunch of morons. Anyway, and I mean that in a nice way. Yeah, it's, it's very terrible. It is. It is. But having said that, I would like to draw our, our audience's attention to an important fact that will not be necessarily uh, noticeable either in the Deep South, where you are, or in Southern California, where I spent most of my life. But, but, we are entered autumn. The Ember Days yes. are next week, I think. Indeed, indeed, yes. indeed. The autumn leaves fall 
by my window the autumn leaves of red and gold. Which actually here they do, because in Austria we've got things called four seasons. Go big it. We have our, we have autumn last about two, three weeks here. Yeah, in December or January. Same it's the same as Southern California. Uh, there's a very funny video uh, it's put up by a, a group it's a southern thing y'all something like that mm -hmm. and it's when it's fall quote unquote in the south and it's it's wonderful you see this girl in her bed with the alarm bell rings and she gets up she's happy as can be because she realizes it's autumn she runs around the house and she puts out all this autumn stuff she gets into the summer stuff she's very very excited she pulls out her autumn uh, shoes her autumn scarf and all that. She grabs the, the uh, pumpkin spice coffee. Oh, she's ready for autumn. And then she throws open the door and you see this the autumn wreath. But it's the south. <laughs> and then these two guys looking at it like, you know, just uh, the carry balls are in shorts and t-shirts. I mean, you look, it looks hot. Just look at it. You can hear the sounds of the insects, you know. And you see the look on her face. And she pulls the scarf off and she goes and slams the door the autumn breeze falls off on the floor <laughs> so it's very notional and it's the same way in southern california where the way you know that autumn is coming you can't tell it from the heat in september sometimes even into october the hottest months but, uh last week they had triple digit temperatures in la mm -hmm. 117 degrees one day got to miss out on that although I've been through it before. But the way you can tell is the Halloween decorations in the stores. And there you've got your spooky candy, your Indian corn, uh, autumn plastic, of course, autumn leaves, and all that kind of thing. Uh, there used to be, sadly it's closed, oh golly, 12 years ago now. But there was a, a supermarket in my uh, in my neighborhood uh, that had not. It, it, supermarkets are always cool, a lot cooler than the world outside. They have to be so things don't rot. This place had a walk-in flower closet. It was big, and when you went into that thing, you saw your breath. No, it's like a Waffle House. Yeah, like a Waffle House, except that roses and flowers all around <laughs> and you would go into the supermarket and you'd feel the heat peel off you and then you'd go into that thing and it was shh and I would just stand there for 10 sometimes 15 20 minutes just soaking up and surrounded by flowers only once did any store employee dare to ask me if I needed any help and when she did, I said, only if you've got a cot. And I will lie down. <laughs> and I will be here until nightfall. <laughs> hey, he's got drinks on aisle 10. I'll be, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and she said, that's all right, sir. I, I'll take care. Off she went. But, oh, man, I tell you, the, the, when that store closed, I was really upset. I had no idea. It was, it was such a kick in the head. Anyway. The uh, thing is, though, that uh, notional or real, wherever you are, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, autumn is here. 
And that's very important for your mental health. That's what I want to talk about today. Maintaining our mental health. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Who you guys is? are mentally insane. I'm taking mental health of two people that laugh at everything. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, who needs mental health when apparently no one in control has it? <laughs> I, I understand how you feel. But trust me, mental health is a good thing to have. It really is. And laughing at things is a big part of maintaining your mental health. Mm-hmm. But it becomes all the much easier this year, throughout this year, this time of year, because in addition to Yuma, this is the time of year when you have an added ingredient. Are you ready? I'm ready. Nostalgia. Escape into your own past, or the corporate past, if uh, if, the, if that's if your own past wasn't so hot. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, well, often some people don't have very pleasant pasts. Uh, very few people have pleasant uh, presents at the moment. But probably more more people have a pleasant pasts than have pleasant presents. <laughs> and pleasant futures, that's up for grabs for everybody. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to make any predictions. We're going to get Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World on. Did you? Did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. No, no. But we, so we're going to retreat to the past. Uh, as I say, either our individual or corporate past. So how are we going to do that? Well, as I say, it's autumn. That's what you start with. Whether it's notional in hot weather or real in uh, more decent climes. Either way. How are we going to do that? Focusing on the feasts. Now, today, when we're doing the recording, is a very unpleasant anniversary, but especially in the in the throes of our country ripping itself to shreds, as it appears to be doing at the moment, it's a good thing to remember. 19 years ago was 9-11. And I'm sure that everybody who was conscious at that point, that is over age four, or not, you know, lying in a drunken super somewhere, everybody, remembers where they were on that fateful occasion. I certainly did. I was in Virginia. I was leading a group of seminarians to go on a tour of the Capitol building. And we were late because the priest had already said mass for us overslept. But she never did. We overslept that morning. So as a result, we didn't know about the Twin Towers in New York. We didn't go in. And there we are in our trusty bus going into town uh, from Virginia. So we're going north, about a mile and a half from the Pentagon. I was biting my uh, nails because we were late, and you don't want to be late for any tour of the Capitol, at least not in those days. So, what happens? It felt as though the bus had been rearing it. I looked around, nothing had happened. And then, just ahead of us, uh, I saw flames and smoke, and all the traffic on the freeway stopped. Dead. And emergency vehicles came running out. Initially, they were things I was used to fire trucks and police cars and so forth. Uh, but then I started seeing things I'd never seen in my life you know, mobile command posts and things like that. Well, it was, of course, the, the plane that went into the Pentagon. And eventually, they got us off the uh, 
off the uh, highway, we went back to the parachute stakeout, and I proceeded to give another lecture, very different from the one I had intended to give, about how this was an historic event. That is an important thing to bear in mind, because when you read about history, uh, people living any time from the siege of Constantinople to the siege of Vicksburg, uh, we forget that there were real people like us, and they were fearful and didn't know how things were going to turn out the way we are. Well, said I to the kids then, if everything you're feeling right now is what they felt. You see, for you up until now, history has been something that's like an old story, so put aside and put to bed, because we know how their story turned out. We don't know how ours is going to turn out. That was what I told them that day. And now we know how that story of 9-11 turned out. Uh, we don't know how this story is going to turn out, but we will. We will. And it may be better, it may be worse, but it'll turn out one way or the other. So, you know, if we say our prayers and we, we do our religious duties and we try to love our God uh, in response to the way he's loved us, heaven after this, and this will seem like a bad dream. Speaking of religious activities, feasts during autumn. Ah, well, that's exactly what I was heading for. The Ember Day is coming up. Now... Uh, despite the fact that there was that there was not a song composed in their honor, remember, 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 remember. It's got nothing to do with the Ember days. It's remember, not Ember. Anyway, I got the remix. Uh, that's right. The Ember days are intended for two things. One is to do penance and, and pray for the sanctification of the earth during the quarter of the year. That's why there are four of them, one for each season. And also, uh, to a degree, to pray for the, for the crops. Contrary to what uh, I grew up believing, food does not start in the, in the supermarket. It actually has to be grown or raised, depending on whether it's animal or vegetable. Shocked. I'm, I'm sorry. Busted my bubble. I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Soon to be in Bill Gates' lab for creating said food. I, I feel very, very bad to have to break the news to you this way. Hydroponics don't yet exist. So uh, that's part of it. But it's also uh, traditionally the Saturday of the other days uh, was the time for ordaining new priests. Mm -hmm. So a second reason was to pray for the uh, people being ordained. Uh, to update the thing a bit, apart from keeping it as, uh, as three days of uh, fast and abstinence, which is an ancient custom that's pretty much fallen by the wayside. Apart from that, uh, be sure to pray for the good priests in life and to pray that we get more holy ones, not to be confused with the, you know, you know what I mean, the not, the not good ones. Um, so those are the upper days, but that's only the beginning of what September has to offer. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary, September 12th. And that's a very important feast because it commemorates the victory at Vienna in 1683 when, like something out of Lord of the Rings, 
the city of Vienna was besieged by the Turks, and all I looked for, uh, Kijan Sojewski of Poland came riding out of the north, like the uh, like the writers of Rohan. Uh, I always say that the funny thing about Lord of the Rings is that at the beginning, the siege of Minas Tirith starts out like the siege of Constantinople, <laughs> but ends up like the siege of Vienna. <laughs> so let's hope, may it ever be thus. Anyway, so the Holy Name of Mary is a very, very important feast day when we're thinking of the need for divine assistance in what we're going through. But moving a little bit forward in September, of course, we have the Feast of the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, which is an important feast because no matter how unpleasant things are for us, she went through worse as her son did. So it's good to pray for her help. But then, September 29th, it's time to take the offensive again. Michaelmas, the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. Yes, indeed. Uh, I love St. Michael. I really do. And I, I never I never understood why until I was in junior high that I, I felt such an emotion to it. And then, because I, I was born on November 8th, nothing to do with St. Michael. Mm -hmm. Until when I was in junior high, I found out it's his major feast on the Byzantine calendar. <laughs> so then it all made a certain amount of sense for me as much as anything ever can. So, at any rate, uh, one of the, the, there are two customs, common customs associated with Nicholas. One is eating a goose on the feast, probably reminiscent of the fact that he's got wings in art. Uh, and then of course, the people like to give asters, you know, this sort of chrysanthemum. Uh, their European name are Nicholas Daisies. <laughs> so, and asters, of course, they flower during autumn, which makes them kind of an odd, uh, an odd, well, not the South, but the rest of the world makes it rather odd. <clears throat> so, that's Nicholas. Then we're coming into October. Well, 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 well. October the 7th, a very, very important day. Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, originally Our Lady of Victor. Uh, again, another example of Our Lady coming to the aid of her persecuted people. Uh, good day to read Lepanto on, uh, because it commemorates the Battle of Lepanto. Don John of Austria is going to the war. That great poem, be sure to read it on October the 7th, and say a rosary, of course. But, that's not all. That's there's all. Wait, But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Celebrators are standing by. Uh, because October has two really, really great feasts coming up after October the 7th. The one is uh, October the... Uh, no, my mind is going. Oh no, I, I remember. All right, sorry. Brain, uh, brain charge. The last Sunday in October in the traditional capital is the Feast of Christ the King. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, keep that feast. Uh, 
Unfortunately, it's a relatively new feast, so there aren't a tremendous number of customers who've grown up around them. But processions are always good. And in fact, during uh, uh, the Nazi period in Germany and Austria, uh, they made a point in mounting Christ the King uh, processions to show their opposition to the regime. So that might be a good thing to think about this October, especially with the election coming up. Uh, and I can't think of any anything more amenable of social distancing than an outdoor procession. Nobody can say boo about that. Maybe do it around your city hall or police station, or somewhere like that. Or the Planned Parenthood Clinic. Anywhere you like. Carry a banner of Christ the King, crucifix, etc., etc. Maybe with the Blessed Sacrament. The uh, priest go for it. And they make this Christ the King Sunday really, really count. And then, of course, the last day of, uh, of uh, October, and this is this is really where your nostalgia factor is going to have to kick in. Halloween, the beginning of All Hallows Tide, three days of remembering the dead. Our uh, one of the common things you'll read, you'll read when they're discussing this is the veil between the worlds is very thin at this time. <laughs> well, indeed, indeed. And there's a lot to be done with Halloween, even if, as in L.A. County, they're banning trick-or-treating. I'll tell you a little something that I've done for many years. When I make up, I won't be doing it here because we don't do Halloween in Austria, but what I do when I'm living at home is I, of course, make up little baggies of candies for the kidless. But I always put a small note asking for prayers for my dead. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason for that is that, in a sense, although the trick-or-treating as we know it is kind of a product of the 1930s, uh, 20s, when they wanted to get away from the sort of mischief that uh, characterized Halloween previously, uh, a survivor of which we'll see in Detroit these days is Devil's Night, which is the night before Halloween. But uh, when they burn buildings and stuff like that, kind of like, well, you know, every night is Devil's Night in most of the uh, major cities today. Portland, Chicago. Seattle, Chicago. Yeah. Portland. Yeah, it's what we call the Detroit plan for urban renewal. Yeah. And I'm sure those cities will end up being like Detroit. And I hope that their, uh, their leadership are happy with what they've done. Anyway, and I hope statues are built for them, made out of mud. So the, uh, the thing is that uh, what that does is go back to the earlier custom from Catholic days of souling. People would go door to door on Halloween night, soliciting goodies in return for saying prayers to the dead of the household. And because, interestingly enough, because my neighborhood is now primarily Mexican, they get it. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, the kids come back year after year, and uh, we, uh, we, we prayed for your family, senor. Thank you very much. Do it again this year. Here's your goodies. <laughs> so that's one thing. But there's more. Uh, I mean, you can really scare yourself uh, silly with what's available on YouTube. Uh, Paul Lynn's Halloween special from 1977. 
That'll that'll keep you up at night. <laughs> the uh, Paul Lynn becoming uh, turning himself into a rhinestone trucker. I still don't quite understand it, and you know what? I'm good with that. <laughs> keep it a mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we must not let daylight in upon magic. <laughs> <laughs> But that aside, and of course, I, I do recommend uh, if you really got nothing better to do with your life, do watch the Paul Lynn 1977 Halloween special. That'll take you back all right. <laughs> but uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff to watch. The, uh, the old Universal Pictures horror movies, the Vincent Price pictures in the early 60s, mm -hmm. uh, as well as, uh, you know, Vincent Price. Uh, thinking of Halloween, I, I, the way I think of Guy Lombardo with New Year's Eve, I think you've been surprised. He was an interesting character. Uh, he was married three times. The first time, uh, I think she was an alcoholic or she went crazy or something, but anyhow, she died. His second wife was the longest one he was with. Uh, and they were both art and cuisine fans. And they actually published a couple of cookbooks and donated a lot of art to a really poor college in East Los Angeles uh, because he was a big art collector from the get-go, and they donated a ton of uh, a ton of artwork to this. Nobody's ever heard of it, East Los Angeles College. Mm -hmm. And if you go there today and look and look at the uh, Vincent Price Gallery, uh, so that was very interesting. But he converted as a result of his marrying his third wife. I forget her name, but she was an Australian actress, very Catholic, but with kind of a foul mouth. And the story goes that uh, one day, she had just got a confession at uh, London's Brompton Orator. And a friend of hers, as she comes out, a friend of hers sees her and begins giving her the latest gossip. She says, don't give me that crap. Can't you see I'm in an effing state of grace? So that was the third Mrs. Price. And uh, he, after being married to her for a few years, decided he wanted to become a Catholic. And so he began to sneak off every Wednesday to uh, uh, conversion uh, instruction sessions mm -hmm. with Monsignor Parnassus, the then pastor at uh, St. Victor's Church in uh, West Hollywood. Well, he came up with different excuses because he wanted to surprise her. But after a while, it began wearing thin, and she was sure it was cheating on her, on her or something. And so she said, you, you tell me what's going on before the marriage is over. And he knew her, and he knew that she didn't fool her out. Yeah. But she, if she said something like that, she, she meant it. Yeah, so he came clean and told her what it was. And then she just started laughing and said, oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you told me. I, I Because she would have enjoyed the surprise, actually. And he said, yeah, I know you would have. That's why I was trying to keep it. But, you know, you, you wanted your way. You got it. So it, it, it all as well, it ended well. So anyway, he uh, so he was a convert. It was not surprising. Hmm. And of course, there's, uh, you know, in the Hammer films, not the later ones that got uh, kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, sexually exciting. Mm -hmm. But uh, the earlier films, uh, Peter Cushing, Chris Lee, uh, those are those are fun. And that, there are any number uh, now that you've got virtually every old uh, television series of my childhood on the air. 
you can watch all the Halloween specials from the Beverly Hillbillies, Green Anchors, all that stuff. Bewitched. Uh, the great pumpkin yeah, patch, yeah. Charlie Brown. Yes, indeed. The great pumpkin. You can see all that stuff. And you can relive your childhood. Oh, yes. You know, the funny thing is, I did a little bit of checking. And I remember my very first Halloween costume. Uh, Halloween 1964. It was a Heckle and Jekyll costume for the two, the two crows. To my amusement and horror, the exact thing was available on eBay. The very costume. <laughs> and my brother went as the devil right there. And I went as Heckle and Jekyll. Uh, I love Jekyll and Jekyll when I was little. You know, uh, and so there's, uh, there's actually a, uh, online, there's a video of Halloween 1964 in Westchester County, huh. taken by uh, somebody who at the time was a kid. And it, it's not Mount Kisco, it's up the river a bit, but man, does it make the memories flow? It's just so that's a good time, you know. Even if, even if they're not allowing trick or treating, ladies and gentlemen, carve that jack-o'-lantern. Pull out the candy corn with the little candies. Uh, have a Halloween party if it's just your family. I know my wife's not a big fan of it, but I'll I'll make sure we get the good candy and uh, make sure we have miraculous medals with it too. Oh, yeah. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Sacramento's yeah, You don't want to be the, uh, oh, we're not going to go to that place. That's the Catholic house. They're a bunch of, you know, you know whatever, bums or anything. It gives right. the bad candy. That's why you've got to make sure the candy's really good. If you're going to do that, mm-hmm. you have the Sacramento's in. Don't, don't you be stint on that candy. Yeah. yeah. They've got to want to come to your place. <laughs> and they'll, they'll take the miraculous medals as a necessary evil. But who knows what it might end up resulting in. You know, you literally are casting your seed on this, you know, the silver and the seed. And the, uh, so that that's a, a very, very good thing to do, I think. Uh, Christmas time's another easy time. Everyone accepts gifts. We're getting there. Oh, my fault. Scoop back. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Don't you be fast forwarding. This is going at its own pace. Don't run ahead of the crowd. Man, so, Copa. <laughs> we're still on Halloween. Which, you know, the, the joke in my family that it's one of the two days of the year that the members of my family can be who we really are. The other, of course, being April Fools, <laughs> where we can express ourselves freely. The rest of the year, we have to pretend. Well, on April Fool's Day, every cool I was able to be himself or herself very, very freely. <laughs> We're allowed to express ourselves on that one. Day. Can we get a live streaming of that event? <laughs> Uh, oh gosh, no, no, no. We we keep that to ourselves. <laughs> uh, and at the end of the day, on April Fool's Day, everybody compares notes on, on the scams they pull. <laughs> we're really not a nice bunch, you know. Oh, I got my brother kicked out of a uh, uh, college, basically college for that one. That was an April Fool's joke. He'll never forget. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I got I got the dean to write the letter, got her to sign it. I had everybody in on it. It was fantastic. <laughs> oh gosh, that is good. <laughs> Having the dean sign it, 
you know, it, it's you know, there's something about those two days when you know you can leave what passes for normality behind. Nothing quite like it. Yeah. But what can't be forgotten also is that there is a serious side to Halloween. And the serious side, of course, is that it is a good time to teach your children about what the church has to say about demons and uh, ghosts and uh, witches and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, the church really exists for two reasons. One is to save souls, and the other is to keep off the dark. And that dark is very real. That's why, of course, we always recommend that people pick up a copy of uh, the ghost book of Sir Sean Leslie, Tumblr House. Just that I mentioned that. <laughs> That's a plug. Operator standing by. <laughs> You bet. Boy, we're prohibited. <laughs> Sorry, no CODs. Not an actor. <laughs> While supplies last. This is not a paid more. actor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, uh, as we, we sometimes chuckle off camera, uh, obviously somebody spent too much time up late at night in their, in their far-off views, you know, watching this garbage. <laughs> it slices, it dices. <laughs> But but wait a minute! You, you said it was a you said it was a, a hand lotion. Yes, it does that too. <laughs> <laughs> You're both right. Free shipping, just pay hand. processing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you acted right. fifteen minutes, acted in fifteen, acted uh, the first seven calls of the first fifteen minutes get free. And then you, you see it, it two hours later. You're going, wait a minute, what happened with the first one? <laughs> Yeah, well, apparently, you know, oh, gosh. You're both right. It's a battery <laughs> acid and a dessert topping. <laughs> anyway, so that uh, so that's, that's uh, Halloween. And now that brings us to All Saints Day. Oh, golly. November of the month of the Holy Souls. I love All Saints Day. I really do. Uh, it is the feast day of heaven itself. It celebrates everybody who's up there. I mean, from Our Lady and uh, the greatest saints and angels to, uh, you know, Aunt May, mm -hmm. she made it. Uh, everybody who's up there is being celebrated. It's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful feast. Then, of course, comes All Souls. And that is where we make our pilgrimage to purgatory. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of places, in a lot of places, including Louisiana, other parts of the United States, uh, people sometimes start on All Saints Day night by going to the cemeteries and lighting candles. And so in this part of the world, they're really big on that. In Central Europe, and actually in France and Spain as well, you go to the cemeteries on All Saints night, and they just candles everywhere. It's very, very beautiful. Um, somber, but very, very beautiful. And part of the reason for that is that All Saints Night in the traditional literature, the uh, the Vespers were uh, because All Saints Day being a, a double or major feast uh, had two sets of Vespers. First Vespers was on the eve of All Saints uh, Halloween, 
The second was actually All Saints Night. But as soon as the Vespers of All Saints Night were over, first Vespers of All Souls, the Vespers of the Dead, the vestments were changed from, you know, white with gold coat to black. The tenor of the prayers changed. Everything was very much. And you made that, that transition almost seamlessly. So it made sense that having gone to that, people would then go off to the cemeteries and do this. I, I mean, one of the uh, one of the reasons why it was such a silly thing to disrupt the old calendar and the old setup was that it worked. Mm-hmm. It had been worked out organically over a very long time. I think part of the problem one has with the liturgical reforms, so-called, under Pius XII and St. John XXIII, St. Paul VI, is that they weren't organic. And I, I'm going to put aside, you know, motivations, why, uh, what's his name? Uh, Benini. Did what he did. I'm going to put all that aside. Forget that for the nonce. Even if everybody involved had the best intentions, they were basically, they basically thought they knew better mm-hmm. than the anonymous generations that came before them. I mean, St. John the 23rd, for instance, eliminated feasts he felt were repetitive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, part of my saying this, but who was he to make that call? You know, the, the office of the Pope is to conserve and preserve. It's not to invent. But in every reign from Pius twelfth onward, this urge to change and remold in our own image got bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really intoxicating. And again, setting aside any nefarious motives, which mm-hmm. I'm sure some of the people had, but set that aside. It's a very intoxicating feeling to think that, oh, I'm remaking everything and I'm making it better. Even if I don't realize I'm actually just soaking my own ego, even if I really am doing it for the very best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Why do I think I know better? Well, what makes it the more difficult with Pius XII was that in many after a day, he attacked that very idea. And yet he allowed Bugini to do... Well, he did. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, you see that with a lot of popes, that they wrote great things mm-hmm. and then either did or allowed terrible ones. You know, you think of Pius XI and his incredible Quas Primas on the kingship of Christ, which you should read on that feast. Wonderful, wonderful encyclical, absolutely wonderful. But it was also responsible for, among other things, the wreck of the Christeros. So, you know, and again, that's not what he set out to do. But as I'm sure everyone will admit, it's far easier to write great things than to do them. Mm-hmm. And that's true if you're a peon or a pope. It's always easier to have really great intentions that they have really great actions. And that's part of the curse of the human condition, which unfortunately folks are part of as well. Yeah, last time I checked, they're human. Oh. I thought it was one cool thing I saw on Old Souls Day was the uh, continuous mass. Yeah. One mass would end and he'd start right back up on another one. Finish that, start up with another one. Yep, 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 they sure did. And they still do, obviously, in places where they have that, mm-hmm. that uh, tradition. Also, another interesting thing, uh, Pope Benedict XV was actually the one who resurrected the, if you pardon the expression, uh, the proper preface to the dead. 
because there wasn't one that couldn't take this. But in the face of, remember that at the time of the, the, the Tripentine missile, there had been tons of options. There were lots of uh, sequences for many different pieces. There were many, many different uh, uh, prefaces, proper prefaces. So Trent pared that down very, very, very well, the, the Tripentine form, uh, pared it down to just very few. But Benedict the 15th, in the face of the horrendous number of people dead in World War I, pulled out of the Middle Ages, out of old missiles, the proper preface for the dead. He didn't compose a new one. It was, there were those plenty of existing material to work with. That's, that's one thing. I mean, if you find you do have, you really do have a particular need for the uh, particular liturgical need that's not really being met, there's a ton of stuff you can go back to. You really don't have to make stuff up. Mm-hmm. But really, there's an enormous amount. So I, I would say that Benedict XV, in that case, he did face a crying pastoral way, but he dealt with it in the best possible way, which was out of the church's storehouse and treasury, if you will, of tradition, and not commissioning somebody to make up something totally new. Um, anyway, so the. Uh, Long and short of it all is that uh, All Souls Day is, is a wonderful piece. And of course, that's, as with Halloween, it's a good time to remember the past. Remember your loved ones, times you have. Uh, how much you miss them and how much you hope you'll be with them forever in heaven. There's a good old book that got republished, uh, All Souls Forget Me Not. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's, you, 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 know, you know how it is. This is true starting with Halloween. You cannot celebrate any of these sorts of holidays without thinking of the past, what's wrong with them. Obviously, when you're little, everything's new and exciting and wonderful. But you'll remember family and friends who are no longer with us. You'll remember the old days, the old ways, the long road passing through. Uh, anyway, so there, there we have that day. But remembrance is not done. Not I was waiting you bust out like the parting glass. I thought you were going to be like singing that tune for a minute. <laughs> no, no, we may do that at the end of the evening, though. We, we may get that. We'll see. Although we might do old like Zion. Yeah. We'll <laughs> so, what should happen? Well, no, maybe both. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> uh, you know, this is 2020. What the heck? We're throwing oh, everything man. out. Of it. It's 20. You know, there are no rules. Happy days are here again. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Break down all the barriers. Don't let yourself be restricted by anything. All of Saturday. I'll tell you, the inmates run the asylum, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> I have a car carrying asylum. I'm a car carrying asylum member. I, uh, yeah, you betcha. It's, it's all not, not only am I a member, I am the president. <laughs> you bet. And if you're expecting coherence out of me, well, you're barking up the wrong tree, monkey. <laughs> anyway. Click you're next. Barking, barking the wrong mood. <laughs> there are three in the sky by my count. But anyway, so the, the, um, as November winds upon, we come to another great feast day. November the 11th, the feast of St. Martin. Huh. Martinus, 
I'll say Martin, of course, is a great saint, uh, because this is where the new wine is harvested, new grapes in this part of the world. Martin must say Martin is considered a patron of wine and vintners and so on. So drinking the new wine of Martinus is a big deal here. Because the geese, a tour a little later on the continent they do in England, Martinus geese <laughs> rather than Michaelmas geese is the order of the day. And I gotta tell you, when November rolls around, the Cafe Vest down the street, the last two years, this will be the third goose, goose, and more goose. Starting out with pate, followed by goose soup, and then delicious, huge chunks of goose. Boy, am I looking forward to that. I love goose. And I, I never could get enough of it back home. You know, they, you rarely see it. Mm -hmm. Not in Austria. It's like venison and wild boar, you know. Oh, and that reminds me, before I even go on any further, I forgot an important feast, especially for where you are. Venison and Wild War made me think of it. November the 3rd, St. Hubert's Day, mm -hmm. the patron of hunters. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh. That's when you have the hounds blessed. You know, and I, I don't care if you're with some foxhound or staghound group, you know, in your red jackets riding, riding the horse, or if you take your coon dog, goes out to the woods. It's a good day to have the hounds blessed. A buddy of mine has a, uh, a deer head, and he just put a cross on top of it just to make his own. Well, you know, I, uh, if you can, you can force yourself to drink Jägermeister. I can't stand it. Yeah, it's cough syrup. Yeah, I'll, I'll take one sip just to say I did it for the day, and that's it. Uh, you know, they, they serve it hot. And then, uh, well, for early, if you think about it, early morning, you're going hunting. It's cold, it's 5 a.m. Eh, eh. it, it, it sort of kind of makes sense. Chilled Jägermeister. And you know, there's a really disgusting concoction. It's Jägermeister and Goldschlager. Mm. I'll tell you what, if you keep it down initially, it won't stay there. <laughs> I promise. Anyway. Don't try uh, this at home. No, or anywhere We else. are trained it's professionals. Fun. Do not train this at home. Uh, exactly. And you know what? Even the professionals should think really careful. <laughs> but no. But the the other uh, the other important thing to bear in mind with all this good stuff is that uh, Saint Hubert's Day is a great day. If you're not a hunter per se, but nevertheless, it's a good thing to remember that the hunt is in itself kind of a metaphor for the Christian life, the mm -hmm. hound of heaven. Mm -hmm. God pursues us, you see. We are the quarry, he is the hunter. And unfortunately, we do try to avoid it, whereas we should just give ourselves up. Uh, but it's a good day for game. You know, game birds, venison, wild boar, bear, if you can get any, elk, moose, whatever game flesh you can get your hands on, say Hubert's Day, by all means. And that's what reminded me to mention it. Because here, in Austria and in France, Germany, and all across Europe, uh, St. Hubert's Day is a very, very big deal. They have masses uh, for St. Hubert's Day huh. with the music provided by uh, hunting, hunting horns. Huh. And yes, this goes back to Fort Vatican too. You bet. Uh, and you know, hunting horns are like bagpipes. You either enjoy the music or you don't. Huh. 
you know, I do, but I suppose it might be an acquired taste for some. Uh, but the other thing I'll have is the, the blessing of uh, bread and water on St. Hubert's Day, in honor of St. Hubert, which uh, is given to the house as well, although people eat it as well. Uh, but they give the blessed bread to the house. Um, and it's, it's, it's really a wonderful feast. I love St. Hubert's Day. And, uh, and if nothing else, go for a walk in the woods. Get outside. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that's all you can do, do that. And uh, think about how uh, St. Hubert converted. I uh, went uh, hunting on a Good Friday, and there was the white stag to be pursued. Now, if you know your folk, though, you know pursuing a white stag is never smart. Because, at the very least, they're magic. They don't want to pursue magical animals. But, in this case, the, uh, he turned around, or the stag did. There was a cross between his, uh, his antlers. And he, the stag spoke and told St. Hubert that if he didn't convert, he surely go to hell. So, don't you be chasing no white stag and you don't want to hear what he got to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, if he does say to you, you better do it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I uh, I don't know. You know, this white stag was talking to me the other day. And I'm not sure about how I feel. Now, you bring that up to a conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, just. I, I, I wanted to expand the conversation, you know, maybe with a woodchuck. You know, Lex and Toddy Phil, somebody like that. Would you like to sit down over here? <laughs> yeah, maybe Rocky the Flying Squirrel would have helped. But at any rate, <laughs> hey, Bullwinkle! Uh, <laughs> Bullwinkle, I mean, Bullwinkle the Moose. We need to expand the conversation amongst the Talk to the Animals. You know? <laughs> Which, of course, I was recently asked, why, uh, why is it that uh, Goofy can talk and is Mickey Mouse's friend, but Pluto can't and he's his pet? Yeah, and they're both dogs. Yeah. So people have asked me this question. Um, it has pondered you know, my mind for decades. It's the kind of thing that keeps people up at night. <laughs> Not me. But at any rate, so you get to St. Hubert's Day, and as I say, we come to November the 11th, St. Martin's Day. St. Martin is a great saint. Uh, I've talked about the Jews, but thanks to that uh, First World War that brought us the proper uh, premise of the dead, it is also Armistice Day, Veterans Day, Remembrance Day, depending on where you are. And then, if you're an English-speaking in an English-speaking country, you want to get yourself a red poppy hmm. to wear. In our country, the American Legion of the VFW made it. But when I was a boy, it was like today in Canada, Britain, Australia, and all throughout the Commonwealth, you always see people wearing red poppies, and that was true when I was young. Uh, but the custom sort of died out during Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It's a good custom to revive. Because where uh, Memorial Day honors the American soldiers who have died in the wars, Veterans Day honors all those who have served. And it's a good thing to do, especially now when the very fabric of the nation for which they fought or served in the fight, is uh, being ripped apart. It's an important fight. You know, I can honestly say that there aren't many of any of our nation's wars that I think were necessarily good ideas. But even if you feel that way, that doesn't take away from the bravery of those who fought in them. 
Yeah, you get mad at the the government guys for sending it. You don't get mad at the troops for going. No. Especially when they were forced. Well, they were forced, and also bear in mind that a lot of them believed in the glorious cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they felt that they were fighting for home and family and nation, God and country and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that should be honored. And if you know the, uh, if you uh, are anywhere near a local branch of the Catholic War Veterans, uh, drop by and say hi. So, uh, and, you know, go see a Veterans Parade if you're allowed to have one. You know, if, if, if you're allowed to invite your masters. Or bring some bricks and call it a protest and then have it anyways. Well, you, yeah, you could do that. Or, or give water to Antifa or something. <laughs> Might be able to get away with it. <laughs> yeah, we probably would. Gosh, the sons of Antifa, our new veterans group. <laughs> so, all right, so there you got November the 11th. But now we pass on. And where do we pass on to? Thanksgiving. Like Halloween, Thanksgiving is going to be really, really, really problematic. Uh, and, I, and I have to admit, it's not a holiday that I've ever really liked that much, simply because of its puritanical connections. But don't think about that. Think about family and togetherness, being thankful, which of course is Catholics, which should be every day. Bring up the idea of the first Thanksgiving, Saint Augustine, Saint Augustine, and New Mexico. Yeah, well, El Paso. El Paso, Paso, yeah, well, yeah. New Mexico, Santa Fe, El Paso, and Saint Augustine all claim that they did. Mm -hmm. So honor them all. Uh, also, Virginia says they did for Massachusetts. So uh, they had a twenty-year jump on them, so they could be true. I don't know. But whatever the case. Do uh, do uh, do Thanksgiving as well as you can. Nothing else because they can't limit you on turkey if you can get your hands on one. And it'll bring back memories of Thanksgiving has gone by. And again, that'll help keep you a bit sane. Uh, there are two other days to be remembered in November. One is the last Sunday, which in the new calendar is the Feast of Christ the King. Well, that's a feast I can't get too much of, to be honest with you. So while I go to the uh, uh, the Tridentine Mass on that day, if I can find a, a really decent Novus Ordo, I go twice, simply because I like the Feast of Christ the King. Mm. And the more I can get of it, the better I like it. But there's one other uh, I'm getting a phone call in. Uh, they want your trad card. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I've, I've got more uh, more uh, uh, confessions to make. There's certain feasts I like to go to the Byzantine right uh, as well as the Byzantine, and the uh, and the Anglican ordinarians use sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I I'm what you call a real ecumenical as far as Catholic goes. <laughs> So maybe not beyond Catholic, but within. Uh, you know, one of the great things about living in Los Angeles is that virtually every one of the Eastern Rites is present. So I've got a Chaldean, Coptic, Malabarese, Malankara, uh, Armenian, every Eastern Rite of the Catholic Church I've been to. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Because you, 
what's you can see how what they have, what they have in common on the one hand. You can also see that where they differ, it's different ways of trying to express the same thing. Which is, I mean, the Coptic right is like two hours long. It goes on and on. But you realize that because they lived for so long under the Muslims, the literature was the only way they could catechize. Yeah. So their liturgy is very rich doctrinally in ways that ours didn't have to be. So believe me, when you once you've sat through a Coptic liturgy, you know all about the real presence. <laughs> Ain't no question about what that bread and wine means. No, sir. You know. So at any rate, uh, moving along, the the uh, uh, last day in November is actually the last day to look at. And that's November 30th, St. Andrew's Day. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Well, because of the Scots. That's the day to uh, uh, have a St. Andrew's Day dinner. Pull out your haggis if you, if you like that thing. I do, but a lot of people don't. Marinate yourself in scotch if that's all you're able to do. But no, I mean, uh, Scottish Catholic history is amazing, both pre-Reformation and post-Reformation. Um, and interestingly enough, there's a uh, ceremony called Kirk of the Tarkins, which yes, was started by Protestants, Presbyterians. The Catholics eventually picked it up. And if you have sufficient Catholics of Scots ancestry in your area, it's a good way to honor it. Interestingly enough, there are more Catholics of Scots descent in Canada than there are in Scotland. Huh. And there are more native speakers of Scots Gaelic in Canada than there are in Scotland. So. Huh. We'd never guessed. No, no, you that's, don't see. that's what we're here for, people. To give you something to know, you will not go through an episode with Charles without learning something. That's right. It may be utterly useless. It'll be, <laughs> it will and never help you in life whatsoever. But <laughs> not this much. My my brother calls me the president of the College of Obscure Knowledge. <laughs> he uh, he's not always nice, my brother. I'm the only nice one in the family. Everyone agrees. <laughs> it's true. I'm the nice one. Anyway, for some reason, that always brings gales of laughter at uh, at uh, family gatherings. Mm -hmm. And if there's a stranger present, they'll say, what's so funny? Uh, and someone will say, well, the funny thing is, it's actually true. But these things, these are all relative. <laughs> cool or nice is not necessarily nice. Humanity nice. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's, it's like the old joke about the uh, miser who died. And the Irish priest who had just been assigned to the little village where the guy died was trying to get someone to say something about him at the wake. And nobody would do it. They all hated his guts. So finally, he goes to the oldest man in town, it's like 99, and says to you know, Mr. Riley, I've tried everyone else. No one will say something for him. Well, I'm not going to. It was worthless when he was born. It was worthless boy to man. No, I've nothing to say good for him. Please, I, I beg you. So, so, well, I'll do it for your sake, Father, and for the church, not for his. So they have the rosary, and after the rosary, there's the wake. And everyone wants to know what old man Ryan is going to say. He knew him all his life. What could he possibly say about that? So he gets up, draws himself up very properly, and says, Well, his brother was worse. 
<laughs> well, that's all he could say. <laughs> he wasn't going to lie. <laughs> so, at any rate, we now move into the blessed month of December and Advent. Keep a strict Advent, ladies and gentlemen. Make it another Lent, especially this year. Uh, if you do, Christmas Eve will be all the more precious. I realize that just as Halloween now starts in the last week of August, Christmas stuff goes up in the stores uh, in mid-October, if not earlier. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have this weird nightmare before Christmas thing where the Halloween stuff and the Christmas stuff are staring across each other at the aisle. You know, you're like, oh, well. But try to stay out of that as much as you can. Keep Advent for its own sake. Uh, as I say, like Lent. And observe the feasts in Advent when you can take a break from your Advent disciplines. Mm -hmm. So what have you got? Well, you got some really nifty ones. Feast of St. Nicholas. I love St. Nicholas. He's great. And if you want, you can give your kids a few small gifties. Uh, you know, to kind of whet their appetite for the main course. Then, You've got uh, December uh, 13th, St. Lucia's Day. Now, for some reason, although she was Sicilian, the Swedes love St. Lucia. And as Lutherans, they're not even supposed to be in saints, but that doesn't suck. So they'll have the little girls, you know, with the crowns of candles, and they wake their parents up early and serve them coffee and buns. Well, you can adopt that as you choose, but just grow up with St. Lucia on that day. December 16th, of course, is the uh, Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Oh, and you know what? I, I completely slipped my mind. I'm sorry. December the 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Now, this is really important. I wasn't going to bring you out on that. I was going to be a kind guy. No, no, I'm, it's, it's all right. I, uh, it's just the thing of Our Lady of Guadalupe made me think of the Immaculate Conception, uh, which is our national day mm -hmm. in the United States, much more than the 4th of July. And this December the 8th, ladies and gentlemen, we need the prayers and help. Shoot some fireworks that day. Yeah. Why not? Shoot up the fireworks. Raise the flag. Say the rosary. And pray to our dear Virgin Mother, the patroness of these United States, or those United States, since I'm in Austria. Uh, we've got uh, Magda Mater Austriae, the great mother of Austria, Maria Zell, looking after us here. But... Pray to Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception in the United States. That, I mean, by that time this year, uh, the election will be over, and either you'll have President Harris, and the uh, the uh, fighting will have died down, or you'll have President Trump reelected, or in all likelihood, uh, there'll be all sorts of annoyances until inauguration day. Mm -hmm. So. Whatever the case, December the 8th this year, be sure you make Mass. Be sure you pray to Our Lady for the United States. Uh, set up the fireworks, show the flag. I'd say barbecue, but if there's snow on the ground, it may Yeah, have a party. Of that. Have a party. And a patriotic party. And you know me. I'm neither a 
American exceptionalist or a, uh, a flag waver in the sense of that. But the United States are our native land, the land that God decided for all eternity. Each of us would be born in or would come to. And it's up to us to show our gratitude. Patriotism is a religious virtue. You know, in Europe, the monarchists in Spain and France and Portugal and Austria and Italy and Poland and on and on are, if anything, the deepest patriots, the most loyal to their countries. Uh -huh. Now, they couldn't care tuppence for their governments, but they love their countries. And that's a distinction we Americans have yet to grasp. It's what's ripping us apart right now. It's a lesson we need to learn quickly, that the United States are more than their government. They are more than the quasi-Masonic ideology that has dominated them since independence. And we also have to understand that for Catholic Americans, that the best way we can show our love to our country is attempting to convert converted with Catholic faith. And that means starting with our family and friends, embarrassing mm -hmm. what that is. Um, it means learning our Catholic history, means, and not just of the whole country, but of our state. Every state has a patron. Mm -hmm. Do we know who it is? Every state has pioneer Catholics. Do we know anything about them? Who founded my parish? Who founded my diocese? Mm -hmm. What do I know about that? The answer for a lot of us is Zippo. But you see, this is precisely the kind of thing we need to know if we're going to evangelize the uh, spot that God saw fit that we should be sitting in right now. So, anyway, that's December the 8th. So we already did St. Lucia. Our Lady of Guadalupe, well, she's the Empress of the Americas. And you could go through a second round of begging for her help on that day. And also bearing in mind that the Western Hemisphere was primarily colonized by Catholic nations, and that its destiny ought to have been Catholic. And sadly, to a great degree, the fact that it hasn't been, uh, has been due in no small part to uh, United States foreign policy mm -hmm. in the 1820s on. And that's a reality we simply have to face. We may not like to hear it, it may make us annoyed, but, you know, reality is like that. History allows no one to be, uh, no one to be smug. Uh, and mind you, uh, for those of our friends who are Mexican, Peruvian, or whatever, Ecuadorian, Brazilian, who will be all too aware of American intervention in their affairs uh, and its deleterious effects, they can bear in mind the fact that they could always find countrymen ready to sell the country out mm -hmm. and to sell the faith out. History takes no prisoners. None. Anyway, one of the important things for the latter part of uh, the latter part of uh, Advent our late night or early morning, I mean early morning, like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. masses. These are called Rorate masses here on the continent. 
They're called Misses de Gallo in uh, de Gallo in Spanish-speaking countries, Singbang Gampi in uh, the Philippines. But it's all the same basic idea. And if you can get to them, do it. They're, it's it's a wonderful practice. Um, and it it uh, prepares you for what's coming on Christmas Eve. Now, one other thing to bear in mind about Advent is that while you shouldn't put on Christmas stuff, there are things you can't do. You can't string up your Christmas cards as they come in. You're still getting them. Uh, a lot of people don't set them anymore, but there it is. Uh, you, the nativity set, you can set up without the baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then make a big deal about putting him in there on Christmas Eve after midnight. Um, and there's the Advent tree, things like that. You can do all those things. Not the tree, the, the, Jesse, uh, the Jesse. Jesse tree. Yeah. There are things like that you can do. But Christmas Eve is when you should really start doing your decorating and all that. Now, like all the major uh, vigils, Christmas Eve traditionally was a non-meat day. And Catholic cultures being what they are, they made up for it by coming up with all kinds of yummy non-meat stuff. The Neapolitans are very uh, proud of their seven fishes dinner. Uh, but every Catholic culture has, you know, a non-fish stuff they put together for Christmas dinner. And then, of course, there's Midnight Mass. Now, three Masses of Christmas, Midnight Mass, Daybreak, and Morning. I have never yet attended all three. It's one of my aspirations. One day, I would like to go to Midnight Mass, Mass of the Aurora, and uh, uh, Christmas morning Mass. But I haven't yet. Maybe one day. Uh, Christmas Day, well, now this again, as with Thanksgiving, as with Halloween, ladies and gentlemen, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you let that nostalgia flow. Let it rip. Don't stint yourself on it. Remember Uncle Bob and Grandma Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got kids and you've got the, you're the sort of family that has a lot of Christmas ornaments and that kind of passed down, make sure you tell your kids where they came from and when and all that. So this thing, oh, <laughs> I know it's kind of ugly, but see, we keep it because Aunt Jenny sent it to us. She was, yeah, I, I, I know, I know, but she and, she and Uncle Bob were at, uh, in Palm Beach that year. And so they sent us this as a room. What is, oh gosh, 60, what was it, on a 64, 65? Something like that. Anyway, so we've had to tell those stories. Be sure you tell those stories. Uh, again, if you're that kind of a family, you know, you'll have done. If you're not, start it. Mm-hmm. Remember very carefully, it may be, what if you're a young couple and you're spending your first Christmas together? and you buy all your own ornaments. Well, you're starting the memories that your kids will be handing down. You know, yeah, these, these, the cheap Chinese things you picked up at Walmart. Now in 20 years time, you may have much better ornaments and all that, but there should at least be a few left from that first Christmas you and your wife spent together. It, and, and if, you know, if you can't afford a tree, uh, do the best you can. As I say, we, we always put up our Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. 
that that was our, our, our thing. Uh, but if you do have to buy it earlier, don't decorate it until Christmas Eve. And have the kids help out to the best of their ability. Unless you do what my parents did. Uh, Santa decorated our tree. Now later on, my brother was recruited into the ranks of Santa's helpers. But until Dad and I had the talk, and no, I don't mean that talk, I'll take a bit later. Get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Get your minds out of the gutter so I can see the sky. But, no, the... the uh, you heathens! Yeah, the, exactly. I know where your thoughts are. And we're talking about Christmas. What's wrong with you people? Anyway, uh, but be sure to... Uh, be sure to... Uh, give them some... When you, when you tell them, when you have that talk, remind them that St. Nicholas is a real person. And he's the father of Santa Claus's base. And that that spirit is very real. I mean, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. It's not entirely untrue. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good thing to remind them of. Um, and Josh, all the whatever Christmas foods you grew up with, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time to throw yourself into it. Eggnog, Christmas cookies, and cakes, the uh, turkey or goose. Or whatever it was you grew up with, this is the time to throw yourself into it. Ham, whatever. And then afterwards, keep saying Merry Christmas to people. Oh, yes. Throughout yes. the week. We're far from done with Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. You ain't getting away so quick. It doesn't work that way. Um, and if you're in a position to, you can make Tom and Jerry's. Do it. I have had two Tom and Jerry's in the past 30 years because they're hard to find. Ha! <laughs> But once upon a time, they were so common. David Runyon has a, uh, a funny uh, short story about Christmas, wherein uh, the narrator advances the idea that Christmas, that some people think Christmas was invented so you could have Tom and Jerry's. But he knows that this isn't true. So that shows you how popular Tom and Jerry's were once upon a time. And there you go. Me. I, I don't think there's an old cocktail this country has ever known that in the light of the current crisis, it's not worth reviving. No, no, no. I say bring them all back. The Bronx cocktail, the rusty nail. Bring them on. We need these things, ladies and gentlemen. Reclaim your heritage. In more ways in than face. one. Exactly. <laughs> in the face of ungovernable woe, bring back these precious elements of our national heritage. Remember. Start a protest like that. <laughs> yes. The cocktail was invented in the United States. It really was. Mm -hmm. We have free first first come, first serve. That's what I say. So, at any rate, you hit on a very important thing. If you've avoided celebrating Christmas until Christmas Eve, and if you treated that event like Lent, it's time to party. So, you've got the Feast of St. Stephen, Boxing Day. 26, so-called because that was the day that uh, people gave gifts to outsiders, outside the family, servants, uh, various employees, and so on. So St. Stephen's Day is a good day to, uh, for instance, to give a gift to your postman, things like that, people who see. And make sure they know that it's not St. Stephen's Day, Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, because it's part of Christmas. Then comes St. John's Day, the 27th. 
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful day that is, the beloved apostle. And there's a special blessing for wine in the Roman Rituata. So you got, you got a priest around there, you make sure he blesses up some St. John wine. But don't chuck that bottle all that one day. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't toss it back. But when you do drink from it, there's a, a formula. I drink to you in the love of St. John. So, uh, you've got Holy Innocence Day, and that's really a good day to pray for the victims of abortion. It's kind of a little bit of a downer in the Christmas celebration, but never mind. Then you've got the 29th, which is kind of a, uh, well, it's, it's St. Thomas of Beckett's Day. Mm -hmm. And so again, you want to think of Merry Old England, but you also want to think of the freedom of the church. Watch the movie of Beckett. Yeah, you can see Beckett on that day, sure. Oh, and, and, and of course, we haven't even touched on Christmas shows and specials and movies. Uh, we'll wait for that for the winter show. Yeah, we, we'll, go into, we'll go into some of that. But then, uh, the 31st, you know what that is, New Year's Eve. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I love New Year's Eve. I really do. Uh, the way I used to celebrate it, uh, it did last year, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get home this year, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing this year. Of course, New Year's Eve in Vienna is a whole, a whole other experience. And uh, if we aren't shut down for the sake of COVID by that time, um, uh, you know, New Year's Eve in Vienna is something I've always wanted to do. But what I usually do on New Year's Eve, by traditions, if you will, uh, and it shows you how multi-culti uh, one gets after a lifetime of travel and so forth. I'll tell you what I do. I always have a lot of friends over for New Year's Eve. The first part of the evening, we watch a, uh, a program called uh, Dinner for One. Now, I never knew about this until 1992, when I met my best friend, who's a German, and he asked me what I'd ever heard of Dinner for One, and I had not. It's a sketch, a comedy sketch, English comedy sketch, 1960, black and white. If you get it on YouTube, mm -hmm. I never saw it until YouTube came along. But in Germany and Austria, Scandinavia, all over the place, it is a, uh, what's the word I want? It's a ritual to watch it on New Year's Eve. It's very funny. I won't tell you what it's about, but it's very funny and it's clean. Uh, then of course you want to have a uh, uh, you want to uh, go out somewhere. I always go out in white tie to the fabulous Derby uh, restaurant near my home. But something we do before New Year's Eve, we pull out the carefully provided uh, Tadeos. So you want to sing or recite the Tadeo before the uh, before midnight. Mm -hmm. Normally, we'll do that about 11.30, 11.45, kind of get you know, into our own section of the Derby to do that. And then, and then, the countdown. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, how I miss Guy Lombardo. You know, when you can see him on TV, he is, well, you can see him on YouTube anyway, preserved forever. Guy Lombardo, Mr. New Year's Eve. I always wear a white tie on New Year's Eve. And I, uh, I tell you, it's a, it's a wonderful practice. You really feel festive. And the funny hats and the noise blowers and of course the countdown. 
and the champagne, and then stroke of midnight. Usually they'll televise, if it's a place like the Derby, they'll televise the countdown from Times Square, which is pre-recorded because it's uh, already happened three hours earlier. But the countdown and then Happy New Year and singing Old Lang Syne, which... If you want to, you can. we can finish up by you singing it if you want. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll do that. I think we'll, we'll finish with Old Lang Syne. Finish on a high note. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful song. Uh, it, uh, you never see the entire, all the lyrics. It has to do with old friendship mm -hmm. and uh, sticking together down through the years, which is something, again, if you've got old friends, ladies and gentlemen, in addition to your family, hold on to them. Hold on to them. I was talking to my best pal uh, earlier uh, today. As I say, he's an Aachen. We were commiserating over things. We were laughing. It hit me, you know, the, the essence of friendship. We really are all inmates in the asylum. But your closest friends, you know, you're the ones that don't actually see the blue rabbits. I know we're supposed to. I know that. But uh, you don't see them, do you? No, I don't. Do you? Your closest friends laugh at the same things you do and see the same things as ridiculous. And that, there's, I tell you, friendship never gets its due. But it's a grand thing. And one of the uh, difficult things about getting older, and I do speak from experience, is that your friends, the friends of your youth begin to pop off. So make sure you make new ones because Anyway, moving along. Uh, so, what happens? We belt out Old Lang Syne, and then of course the massive kissing of strangers, which uh, is supposed to bring good luck. I, I think it's just as likely to bring a cold saw myself. But, <laughs> so what are you gonna do? Uh, and then it's back home for Black Eyed Peas. Yes. Absolutely, Black Eyed Peas. That's a southern thing, and there's just enough of the south in my background to warrant it. Uh, but before we do that, I, I neglect to mention we uh, we uh, say or sing the many craft or spirituals for the new year. Now, when my dad was alive, my brother does this with my nephews and nieces. My dad was alive just before New Year's Eve, New Year's break. He would bless us for the new year. And if you have children and you're at home on New Year's Eve, bless them. As a father, you have that right and that power and that authority. Bless your children on New Year's Eve. It's not just for French Canadians. Although it is a big thing in our culture, I have to say, the animal blessing. Uh, you know, and I've had New Year's Eves where I've been with various relatives and, and uh, cousins and so forth. Obviously, we're away from their own fathers, and it's the oldest one present. I did it myself. Uh, with the, the same formula my dad always used, you know, you make the sign of the cross, you put them on their forehead, mm -hmm. and say, the uh, bon Dieu vous bénisse. Yeah, yeah. And he would use vous, because, you know, usually it's too trois. But on New Year's Eve, was always vous for blessings. What? Anyway. So, moving along, 
uh, time for mass. It's the feast of the circumcision. Mm -hmm. And luckily, there's a, always a 10 a.m. Latin mass in my neighborhood on New Year's Day. And so I happily go off to that. But then, after that stop, down to little Tokyo. Yes, the Japanese make a big, big deal about New Year's Day. You know how Chinese New Year's is a big thing. It's uh -huh. all about luck, long life, and all that. The Japanese New Year's is the same thing. And it used to be on the lunar calendar. The way China, in other words, the Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, Koreans, they all celebrate their particular New Year on the same period, the same day. Um, with the major restoration, the Japanese celebrated uh, January 1st as well. Because, you know, it's being kind of westernized. But they shifted over those same sorts of customs. You go to little Tokyo, you see them. And there are, you know, parades and all sorts of stuff. But there's also a very particular set of foods. The Oseki brunch for dinner. I have it for brunch. It has different things you always have every year for New Year's, uh, New Year's Day. They're supposed to give you longer life and good fortune, all that stuff. I, I like them, and you can't get them any other time of year. But what I like most is the kind of soup they call ozoni, which is a sort of fish broth, oddly enough. Little bits of chicken, little particular vegetables just served on that year, and uh, rice cakes called moshi. I love uh, ozone. I really, really do. And it wouldn't be New Year's without it. So after the Oseki brunch, back home, and I go to the site of the imperial household, the Japanese imperial household. Because back in Japan, every year, there's a poetry party. The emperor and the empress invite all the greatest poets in Japan and they themselves, as well as the guests, write poems to the occasion, which are translated into English and various other languages. So I go to the, I go and I read them. What do I close the evening out with? The New Year's concert from Vienna on PBS. That is, that is my multi-culti New Year. And I have to say, that they have the, uh, the fellow uh, who's the host of it now is, uh, is I can't think of his name, but he was Lord Grantham on Downton Abbey. He's the host. And they've had, they had uh, uh, Julie Andrews for a while. But the one who began it and the one I liked best was Walter Cronkite. Would always appear in morning coat, always be very stately, and always gave a really good introduction to the different the different goings on. Uh, but it's ironic, you know, for years I've been watching the uh, New Year's concert from Vienna, and now I'm here. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm uh, going to get home uh, this year. So we'll see. But New Year is not the end of Christmas. Now with, uh, there we are with New Year's Eve, but, uh, New Year's Day rather, but Christmas is far from over. It's not over until the three kings sing, and I'm referring, of course, to the Epiphany, January the 6th. And this is one of those days where I like to do both Tridentine and Byzantine. On the on, uh, 12th night, January the 5th, the night of January the 5th, in the Latin rite, there'll be a mass and there'll be the blessing 
of uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and of epiphany water. The next day, sometimes the same night, uh, so you might have to scout around. You don't want to double book. But the Byzantine uh, liturgy for the, for the epiphany has a huge thing with the, with the blessing of the epiphany water, which resembles our blessing of the holy water pump very closely, down to the strange motions of the hands and the water and all that, the different Greek letters and so on. Uh, again, if you know what you're looking for, you can see the connections. And it's, it's really neat. So I, I love the epiphany. Now, the epiphany, in a sense, closes out the 12 days. And if you want, you can give your kids some more gifts. Say they came from the three kings, if you like. But we're not done with the Christmas season. No, 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 no. not by a long shot. Because uh, the, uh, the Christmas season, per se, really goes on until Catalyst, hmm. February the 2nd. And there are a couple of, I can do this. There are a couple of observances uh, in between the Epiphany and Capitals. What are they, you ask? I'm glad you asked me that question. What are they? Uh, funny you should ask. Uh, the, oddly enough, uh, Louis, 13, uh, Louis 16th was murdered on January 21st. And that's always a really, really good time to have a requiem mass for him. Do I consider something of the same for Charles I of England, who was killed January 30th, all of uh, nine days later? Mm -hmm. Sort of a novena between the two uh, royal markets. But wait, there's more. Burns night, January 25th. Now the Scots will do St. Andrew's dinners, but they're for Robert Burns night. Oh, my heavens, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. And they go on. And there's a very particular ritual for Burns night. So if you get to one, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's kind of, parts of it are unvarying. And, and really, really worth your time. If there, again, there are enough Scots around. Probably in North Carolina, uh, given the number of Scots in the Highlands, in the North Carolina Highlands. You could probably find burn sites and send suppers to go to. So you might consider doing that. Which, however, brings us to February the 2nd. Candlemas. The end of Christmas. And oh, what a feast. What a feast. It's always, to me, kind of saddening because it is farewell to Christmas. But on Candlemas Eve, they would take down all the decorations. Mm -hmm. Christmas, which always putting them aside. You remember, you haven't put them up until Christmas Eve, traditionally. And while you might take down the tree after the Epiphany, it's kind of a fire hazard. Leave everything else up. Leave up the the different greenery around. Leave up the uh, nativity set. Leave up all that stuff. Uh, when you find yourself putting it away, though, taking it down, it's poignant. And then you go to the Kabbalists the next night, or the next day. And what a lovely, lovely mass. The more elaborate it is, the better. The blessing of the candles, the lighting of them, especially if the church is dark. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's just great. And last but not least, well, almost, you've got 
the blessing of the throats on February 3rd, St. Blaise's Day, which is almost, but not quite, a last echo of Christmas. What is the last echo of Christmas? Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. Mardi Gras, you've already, you've already got into the season of Septuagesima, uh, pre-Lent. That's already happened. Uh, but Mardi Gras is really the end of it. That is the end of the season of festivity that began in the autumn. And that all of it, all of that, ladies and gentlemen, lies ahead of us right now. Several months more. Several months to try to regain our composure, to recover from the madness, which unfortunately will still be ongoing, at least until after the election. And who knows how much longer after that. <laughs> yeah, who knows the level of madness by then? No, we don't. But bear in mind that people who celebrated Christmas and the other feasts in cities that were besieged, uh, in submarines at sea at wartime, uh -huh. they had ships plowing through the Atlantic, fearful of being shot by, uh, sometimes having it happen, by U-boats, and they kept Christmas on them. Well, the great story of uh, the World War was World War One peacetime. Yeah. The, uh, the the two uh, 1914 and to degree 1950 in the great wartime truce. Mm -hmm. Be like that, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let the external world deflect you from your from your goal, which is salvation. First your own and those of the, the salvation of those you love. Don't let the outer world turn the inner world into hell. You know, people who have survived uh, death camps, uh, prison camps, and things like that, that was what they all did. They learned to live in their heads. And to a degree, we have to do that now. Mm -hmm. I hope we don't have to do it as much as they did. But we have to learn to live in our heads. And the adroit use of humor, of memory, of nostalgia, of hope, these can all be used to keep your internal balance, to keep your inner peace. If you have access to the sacraments, so much the better. If you receive the Eucharist in a day, you've, you've got, objectively speaking, nothing to be too upset about, whatever else happens. So, if you're in a position to receive daily, receive daily. If you're in a position to go to confession weekly, go weekly. Because as we've learned, you don't know when you won't have that chance. I think a lot of us tended to take the sacraments very, without meaning to perhaps, but very much for granted. Mm -hmm. We'd always have them. Well, now we've been taught a terrible lesson. You not, not necessarily. In the immortal words of Cab Calloway, is sport in life, it ain't necessarily so. So, that, ladies and gentlemen, is my advice to you. Everything you've got in your lives worth cherishing, cherish it. And these holidays, certainly, alongside everything else, that's one of their great messages. Uh, and with that in mind, as I say, I myself do not know about we spending Christmas and New Year's at home with my loved ones or 
here in, uh, in Austria. Um, and you know, at one level, it doesn't matter. The first Christmas I ever spent away from home, I was very unhappy. But this was back in 1983. But about a week before, I was sitting at the bar of the Masters Club, which was an actors club to which I belonged in those days. Founded in 1925, just so I didn't understand that. Um, and I was going to be home for Christmas. I really, really was unhappy. But you know, the place, although I, as you know, I don't really go for Christmas decorations prior to Christmas, but nevertheless, Christmas decorations in the bar of the Masters were beautiful. And I ordered a glass of port, which for me has always been a very Christmassy drink, alongside eggnog and Tom and Jerry's. I tasted that port, and I looked, I looked at all the beautiful decorations. I thought, you know what? It just doesn't matter. Christmas is still coming. It doesn't matter how I celebrate it, what I do, Christmas is coming. Isn't that the main reason why uh, there's the high suicide rate is we forget whose Christmas is about and we think about ourselves instead of the little guy in the manger? Exactly right. Exactly right. The funny thing was, I had very, very little money to make there. Just uh, next to nothing, literally. Well, it so happened that on the uh, 23rd of, uh, uh, yeah, well, the night of the 23rd, I was at the club, and the, uh, some of the rooms had been, uh, opened up for a private Christmas party for some, you know, somebody who hired it. But the company that normally did the hat check never showed. So the manager of the club, very embarrassingly, asked me if I would mind playing hat check girl. You know, it, it really isn't proper to ask a member of Mr. Kuhl, I, 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 I don't know how to say this, but just don't have anybody. Would you mind? Well, so, and then he laughed and said, of course you can keep the tips. Ha 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 ha. I said, of course, ha 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 I made $145 that night, which in 1983 was not chump change. No, no. I went out the next day. I bought gifts for everybody. Because all I was going to be able to do was give them a, a warm shake and a hearty, you know, a hearty embrace. That was about it. So I bought gifts for everybody. And my last buck, I gave to a bum on Hollywood And then the rest of Christmas Eve day, I ran around dropping gifts off to friends. And then I uh, went to Midnight Mass. And another friend of mine had me over to his place. I drank eggnog. I crashed on the couch. And the next day, he and this other friend of ours and myself, we went to uh, we went to uh, see To Be or Not to Be with uh, Anne Bancroft and uh, Mel Brooks, mm -hmm. which is just a great picture. It's actually even better than the original, which is rare for a remake. And then uh, we had dinner at the late lamented Michael's Las Feliz, turkey dinner with all the fixings, uh, and it was a great Christmas. It was great, but. I had resolved to accept whatever form Christmas would take. It wasn't going to be the Christmas I was used to, but it would still be Christmas. 
Mm-hmm. So, same thing awaits me this year if I don't go home. Uh, I don't know what will happen, but I know something will happen because it's Christmas, it's New Year's. Hey, people could buy the Charles, Blessed Charles book for Christmas presents. <laughs> well, it might happen. It might happen. Uh, you know, if, if we're allowed to uh, to go there at that time, I may uh, I may go to Aachen and spend it with my pal Axel and his family. Or I may stay here in Vienna. I don't know. But whatever happens, on a higher level, it doesn't matter. Because all the Christmases, all the New Year's, all the epiphanies that ever I spent, they're locked up in here. And it'll still be the anniversary of our Lord's birth. It'll still be the coming of the three wise men. It'll still be the coming of a new year. And thank God the shitting off of this one. Which, <laughs> you know, I, I've had enough of it in April. <laughs> it's, it's really been hanging around too long. No, I'm afraid 2020 is like a guest who doesn't quite realize that. Yeah, um, you know what? My, it's getting late. <laughs> September already? You know, Gee, look at the time. <laughs> Gee, Willikers. Man, I've got to get up early tomorrow. <laughs> Is that Elvis? And, and, you know, somehow the guest doesn't notice. Oh, that's nice. But I will not be like that guest. I will take my departure. But as you indicated, and ladies and gentlemen, this is for all of you, wherever you are, during any one of these holidays, if you find yourself down at Halloween, a Thanksgiving, a Christmas, a New Year's, the Epiphany, or capitalism, or Mardi Gras, and you're not in your usual surroundings, or you are, but you can't celebrate it the way you would have, or whatever the case, this is for you. Right off the request line. <laughs> yep, yep. Should old acquaintance be forgot? And never brought to mind Should old acquaintance be, be forgot And days of old langsine For old langsine, my dear For old langsine We'll take a cup a kindness yet for days old sign. Happy 2021, everyone, <laughs> and happy 1968. <laughs> I appreciate it, Charles. God bless you, and God bless you all. Remember, no matter how bad it seems, it can always be worse. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will be, never mind. <laughs> See you all later. Don't, don't forget, if you get the chance, drop by and see me on Monday uh, for Off the Menu. Uh, my new book is coming out. Uh, look up, look it up at Tumblr House at a tan. Uh, stay in touch. What was it uh, Linda Ellerby used to be used to say? Uh, you stay in touch because we'll stay in touch or something. Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah drop him a line on Facebook and Twitter. Just say hi to him. Yeah. Or, well, sure. All right. <laughs> That would be good to hear from you. God bless you all and take care.